I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town This is Ralph Amsden uh, with Chili up in the ASU press box after ASU takes a 20-13 Thursday night loss against the Stanford Cardinal. Um, Stanford moves to 5-2, and 3-1 and in the Pac-12. Arizona State drops to 3-4, and 1-3 and three in the Pac-12. Uh, five pretty tough games from here. I mean, they could go 5-0, and oh, they could go 0-5. Oh um, every single one of their losses, I believe, this year has been by 7. I don't they see are finding the most creative ways to lose games by seven points. I don't see any reason to beat around the bush. Let's just jump right into it. What's wrong with this team? Um, offensively, this team is so difficult to watch. Um, it seems like they've turned Nikhil Harry from a playmaker to a move the chains guy. Um, if that, if, if that, I mean. These, these four-yard passes, they're not creatively trying to find a way to um, get him the ball in positions where he can do things. It's kind of just like, um, we're going to dump you the ball, and if you get four yards, cool. If you get five yards, cool. Like, he needs to get the ball in a position where, like, it's almost like all or nothing and up to him to do, like, what, what he did against uh, UTSA. And I know that that team is not Pac-12 comparable, but there's, there's ways to get him the ball to allow him to get loose and like I said they've turned him into a move the chains guy he's a he's barely a first down threat he at one point in the game he had five catches for 34 yards one of those catches was for 17 and that was on uh, uh, running him across the field hitting him over in the in the flat on a, on a little dump off right uh, and he did most of that himself I've, I've been debating with a bunch of people like if Nikhil here is a playmaker. Yes, he's a playmaker, but he's been turned into a move-the-chains guy. Well, and you have enough evidence, and I, I don't want to dive too far into the whole Nikhil Harry thing because I feel like we've beat it up, and I feel like if Arizona State's offense isn't going to focus on Nikhil Harry, then maybe this podcast moves on and stops focusing on Nikhil Harry completely because... We're kind of not, being left with no options. So. If, if he's not a priority to them, he should, it, it, the, the subject has to at some point stop being a priority to us. It's just us beating a dead horse, right? So, you know... Nikhil, we've had enough uh, examples of him being able to make a play once he gets the ball. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, he, he isn't touching the ball. It's obvious that in this offense he's not the focal point. The guy no. who has been the focal point, the guy who has been the focal point of this offense up to this point in the season is Eno, Eno Benjamin. Benjamin. Now, Eno Benjamin gets four carries in the first quarter. Right. He gets three carries in the second quarter. And then when did he touch the ball after that? Uh, in the I think second half. I think or it might have been f- it might have been eight carries in the first half. He touched the ball maybe four times in the entire second half. Once on a reception, three carries, no carries in the and fourth that was a quarter. Big play no, too. no diversity of offense as far as running and passing. Once they got down, or even when it was six to six, they really tried to tried to throw the ball on this Stanford team. Uh, because I think they looked at the the run game, they said it's not there, and really abandoned it altogether. For the most part, most of Manny Wilkins' runs were uh, broken plays where he wasn't able to find an open receiver, and he took off running. Not a lot of designed runs there. And I think Manny Wilkins, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, Manny Wilkins led the team in rushing. Uh, highly likely. So, 
you know, we're in a situation where uh, Arizona State gets away from the run completely against a team that has given up quite a few rushing yards this year. Obviously, this game's going to help Stanford's season totals. Um, but, you know, you, you have Eno Benjamin get, I think, 11 carries total yeah. um, on the game, and he does not touch the ball in the fourth quarter as far as running it. He does have three receptions for 11 yards. So they were they were trying to find a way to get him the ball, but they, they, they weren't, they weren't going to run it. They had given up on that. That wasn't working. You put the entire game on Manny Wilkins' shoulders, um, and I think, to be, to be completely frank, I think it was just a little bit too much for him. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, you know, you know, Benjamin is a volume running back. He is not a guy that's going to get you um, 100 yards consistently on 11, 12, 13 carries. I, I, don't, I don't believe that he's that type of guy. Um, not, and that doesn't mean that he's not talented. I, I think that he's a guy that needs to get the ball um, somewhere in the range of like 20, 22, 25 times to, you know, potentially get you anywhere between like, I don't know, like 150, maybe 180 yards on the ground. Um, I think, you know, Benjamin's so good. Like, he's got amazing body balance. Um, you know, it's hard to bring him down with just the arm tackles and stuff like that. And you say that about anybody, but that's really not the truth because a lot of people get tripped up with arm tackles. Um, and he wasn't losing yards. I think there was only one carry in which he lost a yard. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, he got stonewalled on 10 of his carry. I think he averaged two yards a carry for 10 of his carries, and then he broke one off for, I think, 18 to finish with 11 carries for 39 yards. He also had five catches for uh, 43 yards. Doesn't get in the end zone. In fact, Arizona State went 15 consecutive drives going back to the second half of the Colorado game without getting in the end zone before Manny Wilkins uh, runs one in himself from 10 yards out. And then they don't score again in their drive after that. So only one time in the last 17 drives has Arizona State got in the end zone. Whose responsibility is that? Who do you put that on? Um, I think the offensive coordinator has to figure out what's going on because I think that there's a, the biggest problem with this team is uh, they're trying to create an identity, but they're abandoning it so fast that they aren't able to um, effectively um, create the identity that they want. And because they're trying to do something else before they can establish something, like it becomes a hot mess. And it's so disappointing because like this is a team that, you know, at the beginning of the season, like I truly believe that this is a team that's capable of uh, eight to nine wins. Um, eight to nine regular season wins, and then you know maybe nine to ten with the, with a bowl game. Um, they have all the weapons that they need. They have a quarterback that's been here forever. Not not somebody that I love, but you know somebody that's capable. Um, they have a proven star at wide receiver, a true playmaker um, in Nikhil Harry. They have a talented running back, you know Benjamin. This defense is solid. I mean, they proved tonight that this defense can can really hang. Um, I love what the defense has done so far this season. I think that they have players that are capable. Um, you see Chase Lucas get beat for a touchdown, and Chase Lucas, like a little brother to me, I love that kid. But I think part of that, I think part of the product of the problems with the defense is the offense. The offense is so stale and so um, lackluster. Um, it's it's boring. You're seeing guys drop balls that hit them in the hands. Um, a lot. Uh, you know, there, there's really only one speed on a Manny Wilkins pass, so you should know that that rocket's coming. You should know. You should be able to bring that in if you're if you're Kyle Williams, then, if you're Nikhil Harry, if you're Frank Darby. And you should be able to bring that in. And unfortunately, that goes into another problem because you know I think that you know so and it's it's 
I don't I don't know how much I want to blame him. Um, it might be due to the high turnover and coordinators and stuff like that. Um, it's like he doesn't know how to throw a touch pass. Ralph, me and you cover high school football. We've seen Jack Miller, uh, Spencer Rattler, uh, the Brock Purdy's, the Jacob Conovers. They can all throw touch passes. We've been covering those kids for three and four years. Right. Like, he 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 has hit a couple of deep ball. He hit one to Ayuk. He hit one to Frank Darby. Going back to last week, he hit a couple to Frank Darby, and he was able to do it in the San Diego State game. But it's definitely not consistent. That's been his biggest issue. Not only that, but the guy. Str- I mean, this whole team struggles in the red zone, but but the f- it was pretty brazen of Arizona State to go back to the third down fade after what happened against Colorado with throwing a fourth down fade to Curtis Hodges and for Manny Wilkins to not even get it in the field of play. That if you're an ASU fan, that has to be inc- incredibly frustrating. You end up bringing Brandon Ruiz out for a field goal, and not not only is this team not good in the red zone they also today did something they haven't done all year they had two turnovers in six games heading into today they turned the ball over three times today two of those turnovers were when they were driving deep into stanford territory you know and i think one of those plays was the Nikhil harry pass for an interception in the attempt to try to get him more touches um offensive Nikhil harry is not a quarterback no, he's not. I mean, and you, you, you want to do you want to do the cute things when you're up, you know, uh, twenty three to seven or twenty twenty three to three. Like it's cool, but like um, against ASU the Stanford didn't, team, like, ASU you gotta, didn't learn from intercepting a pass from a receiver against Washington you know, you know, to not go out there and do it themselves. You know what? This defense really put the team in a position to win. Um, Danny Gonzalez, you know, making mistakes but still earning his check. Um, Likens, I don't, I don't know. Um, it, it, I, I'm beyond disappointed in what in the product. Um, there's no reason, there's no reason that this team doesn't score 21 points every game. Every game. There's no reason that this team is held to so many field goals in the red zone. There's no reason, and I lo- and I love uh, Brand- Brandon Reese. Reese, is it Reese? Ru- it's Reese. Ruiz. Ruiz. Riss. Reese. Reese so you know I, I think that you know um, I, I still think that this team is every bit as talented as I did at the beginning of the season I think that coaching is the problem I know that everybody wanted me to jump on that Herm Edwards bandwagon and I'm sorry that I didn't um, I didn't jump on it right away when they beat UTSA I didn't jump on it right away when they beat Michigan State like you know this is only year one uh, Ray Anderson promised me in four years that I'm gonna get a national championship here so we got time. Um, right now, it's just unfortunate, and we got to go through these growing pains, I guess. Uh, but man, it's it's a it's a tough day for Arizona State football, and it is a tough day for the state of Arizona for football. Like in so let's 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 make a little comparative analysis here. Like in UFC, you have a fighter who's three and four, but they get knocked out four times, but they went down swinging. That's something like exciting that you can probably get behind. If you have four losses and you got tapped out all four times, which is really what's happened to ASU, they've gotten down and they ha- they've struggled to try to get back in the game and they just couldn't do enough. Uh, it's not like ASU's getting beat on the last play of the game. 
It's not like it. It's not like ASU has been in Michigan State's shoes in any of these. They've been down and they've had to work their way back to lose by seven against San Diego State, um, against Washington, now against Stanford, um, against Colorado. They 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 didn't do anything after their first drive of the second half. So. I, the way that I look at it is: it, is it more discouraging as a fan to see your team struggle to even be competitive and lose by seven, or do you, would you want to see somebody go out have like Big Twelve scores, where you know you're at least going out and you're putting thirty-five on the board, but the other team ends up scoring forty-two? You know the, you know um, I listened to like what Herm Edwards has to say about like a ball control and time time management and making sure that they dominate the clock and stuff um and that's cool and that's a very very like old school way of thinking that they want to you know run the ball and you have to establish the run in order to win the game and stuff like that um but throughout all of that time management and uh dominating the the clock uh are they going to work on clock management because the end of this game proved to be disastrous and i think they keep running out of time like that isn't a player problem or a talent issue that is a coaching issue so yeah that and you're worried about about turnover gains like you need to start worrying about like you know watching like the clock and find you know you have somebody that you know you can go to to micromanage this thing micromanage that thing how about have a person with a stopwatch next to you so that you can manage the seconds that are ticking off the clock so that you're not wasting 30 of them trying to gather the kids together yeah and i i I hate to be too critical of what was an absolutely disastrous final drive for arizona state when it comes to just overall awareness pass protection um the, the the routes weren't really doing much to get anybody open. Manny Wilkins' decision making was very bad. Manny Wilkins' sense of urgency just wasn't there. The team's composure wasn't there. That's a coaching but, problem. Yeah, and 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 the and the the play at the end was just, I mean, unfathomable that you would dump it off in that situation instead of trying to throw it to the sideline, throw it out of the back of the end zone, do anything, spike it, whatever. That that's a serious problem. Why was ASU in that situation in the first place, right? So I look at that, and, and that's that's one of those situations where you say, yeah, this is really, really ugly, but you shouldn't be here. Like if you're driving a car, right, and you know you're starting to get lost, and you have the opportunity to ask for directions and you don't take it, you end up in a neighborhood that you shouldn't be in, and you end up getting your wallet jacked. Yeah, Getting your wallet jacked was a rough part of the night, but you had the opportunity to ask for directions, and you didn't take it. You never should have been in that situation in the first place. And that's how I feel about Arizona State's final drive, is David Shaw had no intent to go out there and and and, and take the kill shot. No, They were just playing. running the ball up the middle with, with their second and third string running backs, and, and ASU was stifling it every single time. ASU's run defense was fantastic in this game but what what Stanford was doing ASU, really well ASU's pass defense was really really good barring a few of those penalties and I know that right. that I know you have to factor that in but people got to understand they took those three pass interference penalties they took the one holding penalty Costello had a terrible night uh, Chase Lucas got beat for one touchdown but ASU's defense on the whole was amazing 
I really think that this was one of the best performances that we've seen in a while. And I think I, I would agree against the run. If you take away Arcega Whiteside's best catch and Trent Irwin's best catch, 28-yarder for J.J. Arcega Whiteside, a 22-yarder for Trent Irwin, both guys had six catches on the night for around 50 or 60 yards. So basically, they were hitting him on a bunch of slants. David Shaw could have probably called one of those slants at any time in the fourth quarter, and that, that would have been the end of ASU. It probably True. would have been the end of ASU. Instead, he was just like, eh, we'll see if we can if we can pound the rock, get a first down, and that'll be the end of the game. Um, discipline. Oof. A little bit a little bit rough for ASU. One bet. I, I will give you one very, very poor call on a pass interference on Ashari Crosswell. But Ashari Crosswell, outside of that, had two penalties that cost ASU, as well as dropped an interception before that. Uh, uh, you know that, that would have stopped Stanford from scoring a touchdown, I believe. So that I, I do agree with you that there was some solid performance on the defense tonight, especially considering they started four true freshmen or three true freshmen and a redshirt freshman, right. and they rotated in DJ Davidson, who is a 21-year-old redshirt freshman, but still a redshirt freshman, rotated the defense all night long. I wanted to ask you if you thought maybe they should be playing more Kalen Thomas, more Malik Lawal, more mature guys who might be able to create a turnover, but I can't complain about Merlin Robinson. I can't complain about Darian Butler, not after what they what, what I've seen them do. No, Merlin Robertson's amazing, and you got to stick with him. Um, there's no, there's no reason to not not make sure that he's getting playing time. Um, I think we're at a point in the season. I'm not saying abandon all hope, but it might be time for the youth movement. It might be time to start getting you know some of these younger kids more. I feel like time. they're already trending that way. Yeah, right, and I mean, you know, they want to put their stamp on the um, since they want to run it like a like a professional organization. They want to put their stamp on the team on the franchise and this is the way to do it like you know get all your guys and i mean Nikhil harry's gonna be out and um manny wilkins is gone like you know what what's to stop them from making a change at quarterback like try to shake things up a little bit uh, i just i don't know if the team is rallying around manny uh yeah i mean it, there there's some some of manny's issues got exposed tonight um one thing is he is good at escaping the pressure, especially the initial pressure. He's, he's pretty darn good at that. Um, once he escapes the pressure, it's like his mind is on the pressure because he cannot, he cannot find receivers downfield after breaking his concentration the, the first time. It is very rare that you will see Manny Wilkins hit a receiver downfield after escaping the pressure. Incredibly rare. In fact, tonight, on what was probably his best job of escaping the pressure, he threw an interception and, in another instance, ran the clock out. <laughs> and so, so that, is a, that is a complete weakness for him, and I don't know if that's something that you can teach or instill if, in somebody. If my quarterback is going to extend plays um, with his legs, whether he's running down the field or throwing the ball down the field, I want him to do exactly that throw the ball down the field, not throw a three-yard dump pass with 11 seconds left. That burns the clock out. I don't know if, um, man, I don't want to beat up Manny too much. I, I, You know, I'm sure he's a great kid and he wants to win and stuff, but I'm not sure if he has the um, IQ, the on-field IQ situationally to do all these things. And 
part of that I blame on the coaching staff. Too much turnover. Um, nobody's worked with him. Um, why are these things happening? Like, right. He has one drive against Michigan State that was pretty impressive in a pressure situation. Outside of that, he's been in pressure Ralph. situations all year, and I, I, I definitely have not been impressed. Ralph, if we're talking about one drive that happened over a month ago. Yeah, it's a problem, 100%. I'm with you. 100% it's a problem. Tonight, they had an opportunity with like two minutes and 30 seconds left to try to march the whole field. He takes a sack. He does make a couple of throws, right? I mean, he hits Nikhil on on the left sideline. That gets him some space. Uh, Slick play call by Rob Likens to run the ball on fourth and one with Traylon Smith. Nobody saw that coming. That stopped the clock and put ASU in a situation uh, where where Manny was able to spike the ball. But uh, they ran 30 seconds off the clock in the middle of that. I I mean, clock management. Just everything about that. And I, I don't want to get hung up on that final drive because they shouldn't have been there. No, But absolutely holy not. cow, was it ugly. It was ugly. No, it's, it's, it's really disappointing. Like this team, like I said at the beginning, they are creatively trying to find ways to lose games by seven points to say that they were in the game. And the problem is, is you really weren't. Because right. you're playing to be in the game isn't actually being in the game. Let's focus on Rob Likens a little bit because ASU scores on like three of their first five drives against Colorado and then snaps off a 15-drive streak of not even scoring a touchdown. Uh, everyone is calling for Mike McCoy's head across town of the Cardinals playing on Thursday night. Um, so, you know, everybody wants Mike McCoy to get fired. Assuming, you know, Mike McCoy is in his was in his seventh game as the Arizona Cardinals coordinator. Um Rob Likens is over here in his seventh game as as the Arizona State Sun Devils offensive coordinator. He was gifted the job because they didn't want to go through the process of searching for the best candidate when Billy Napier left. So they didn't want Rob Likens to have the role, but they were in a position where they needed to keep someone here for continuity's sake. For continuity Um, or for budget purposes? He's like the third highest. No, they paid him. Like, they paid Rob Likens. Like they, I, I think he's the third, maybe the third highest paid OC in the whole Pac-12. So, it's time to get your money back. <laughs> well, so here's the situation we're in. I looked out and saw some of the stuff they were doing today. I took some heat on on Twitter for saying that ASU was more creative today than they have been in a few weeks. We saw Paul Lucas out there on multiple drives. Did they use him? No, but he was out there in those packages. We saw, like, run-pass option, uh, tight end up the seam, which we haven't seen all year. We saw that twice, and one time it resulted in a 16-yard game for Tommy Hudson. We saw uh, Ryan Newsom on the sideline. We saw some different packages. Nick Ralston came in. They didn't use him. Um, Isaiah Floyd came in for a play. Uh, Traylon Smith played a little bit. I still don't understand why they're not using him more, but I did see some more creativity with some of the movement uh, hitting Nikhil like they did. Uh, I I thought it was was more creative than the previous few games. Was it good enough? No. Was Manny Wilkins looking to these guys they were bringing in in personnel pack? Because in my experience, you bring a dude in because he can do a certain thing. You would see Paul Lucas run out on the field and then get ignored you would see Ryan Newsom run out on the field. I think he was targeted maybe twice. You know, 
you have to kind of use these guys uh, when they're out there. I, I felt like the play calling was more creative. I which, felt like the execution which, was lacking. But that being said, that might be the reason why it's time to go to Dylan Sterling Cole and abandon the Manny Wilkins project. You know they don't. You, I mean, there's no. I don't think they like the idea of him playing quarterback. He's been here th- three years. I hear fans call for it sometimes, but to be honest, like the vibe from this coaching staff is not let's play DSC. Like I, I don't think. I mean, they have any confidence in him whatsoever. I mean, being creative and failing isn't successful. It's just finding a new way to fail. It's true. Yeah, there's no points for creativity when your creativity ends up uh, being a disaster like Nikhil Harry throwing an interception um, on, a, on a drive where you're, you're actually moving the ball. Um, dude, why is this team so bad in the red zone? They... <laughs> is it the lack of a tight end? I, is mm. it... What what is it about this team? I think it's their inability to to successfully create an identity. Are they going to be the team that throws to Nikhil? Or like like Colorado has their their wide receiver that they continuously go to and um, right, move Chenault into the backfield and have him run the ball out of the. They're they're gonna they're gonna make successful ways for him to um, get the ball and be successful with it. Um, yeah, we aren't figuring that out. Is it going to be Eno Benjamin? Is it going to be Nikhil Harry? Or are we going to let Manny Wilkins try to run loose? Who, who's making that call? Um, if you're leaving it up to Manny, then, I mean, it's Manny gets to be Manny so that he can post something on Instagram later. But, um, you know, I just don't think that, you know, this team really has the identity that they're searching for. Yeah. And I, I don't know what, what level of right a fan of Arizona State has to be upset with any student athlete these guys are bartering their services for an education and some food until they move out into the real world hey man until but, until attendance picks up can't nobody complain about anything you get what you get <laughs> we'll get to that in a second but i do want to bring up the fact that like this is another game in a long line of games where manny wilkins has been out there tears in his eyes completely disappointed in coming up short he but wants you, to win but you know this week's going to be filled with him posting photos on 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 Instagram of the couple of plays Salvage where he the moments right so uh, but you got twelve thousand to fifteen thirty thousand yeah. followers it's cool like yeah I mean it, you looked cool losing yeah I mean so post you, it on Instagram get you know seven a thousand likes or whatever and you know it's all good like I mean live up the memories you know and make the most of it like you lost to Stanford it's cool at least you got the cool picture and you know you can post it and put a nice little quote get a thousand likes and keep it pushing I just would rather have my quarterback win games yeah and it, that's generational and I'm I'm ne- and you and I are both not one to not one to, to to push back against whatever it is the kids want to do at any given time it's just we've seen this over and over and over again Manny's emotions spill out on the field Manny's emotions spill out in the press conference uh, I have no doubt in my mind this dude wants to win. He really wants to win. He threw 43 times tonight. He got hit a bunch. He got flushed out a bunch. He threw one interception, and it's because once he gets shaken out of the pocket, he doesn't really know what to do with the ball uh, besides run it, and he's been pretty productive running the ball after after getting chased out of the pocket. He's not a game-breaker, but he'll get positive yards. 
Um, but he threw the ball 43 times tonight, only got picked off once. I think that on the season that probably puts him at like 231 pass attempts, two interceptions. So you know he's not going to turn the ball over much. He did get flushed. He, he, he fumbled. So he's responsible for two of the turnovers. Um, and then maybe that trick play is a lack of trust in his ability to get it done. So you can give him partial responsibility for the Nikhil interception. But I think Nikhil has to own that one. Yeah. Um, and and, and you, you just look at this team and Kyle Williams is underperforming. I, the, the offensive line's doing all right, but they're not getting tight end production. They're not getting wide receiver number two production. Unless it's a deep ball down the field, Frank Darby doesn't seem to know what's going on. Brandon Ayuk muffed a punt today, um, and they continue to rotate guys in and out on punt return. Uh, this offense is just a mess, and it shouldn't be. It should not be a mess. I mean, I, you're right. Um, you know, it, it, it's crazy. Uh, Nikhil Harry had eight catches for 91 yards. Eight catches. Like, this is a kid that, you know, if he has eight catches, he needs to be somewhere north of, like, 120, 150. Like, eight catches for Nikhil Harry, and he has zero touchdowns? Zero. That's not creative. That's not a playmaker. Right, and and not... And he's not a playmaker because the offense isn't scheming for him to be one. It's let's appease the the fans and let him touch the ball 13 times because that's what the fans want. Maybe that'll shut them up. Another thing that Arizona State has struggled with, and I know the defense played well, but is quarterbacks are able to just kind of get theirs, be really efficient against this. All of them. K.J. Costello, 22 of 29, only got sacked one time despite being under pressure all day long. Um, They probably could have had another touchdown win. Danny Gonzalez called a corner blitz from Chase Lucas, and they ran a screen pass to that side. Oh, my God. And one of the guys on the wedge they had held for no reason. They get that touchdown called back. I'm watching this game. I feel like Stanford probably should have won by two or three touchdowns. You're right. They They probably should have. They pumped the brakes just with the way they run their offense. They pumped the brakes in the first quarter with the way they run their offense. Well, Um, Well, Coach Shaw didn't play to win. He played to not lose. And in the fourth quarter, you could completely see that. Now, uh, the attendance. (laughs) What attendance? Yeah, it was pitiful. Um, Thursday night football, to me, is absolute garbage. It's like a Thursday night wedding. uh, It still counts as a marriage, but it doesn't mean the wedding's going to be any good. And you go out there, you play football on a Thursday night, ASU puts up one touchdown at home in front of some of their fans, uh, and that's, that's not a surprise to me. Uh, you break routine. It's it's just it's six o'clock game, so people are just getting off work. They have to split with the fact that the Cardinals have uh, a game on Thursday night. So you have guys that are going to the Cardinals game. You have guys and girls that are staying home so they can have two TVs on. Um, but you know, you, yeah, you get this game on ESPN. And I talked to Larry Scott. He was here in the in the press box at halftime, and I asked him, you know, why have these games? You see the depressed turnout. Why do you do this? He said it's contractual. He said that they try to skip over um, as many schools as possible because they know it creates issues with traffic and parking. You got caught in that traffic. You got yes. caught in traffic, and there's not even anybody here tonight. That's so uh, weird in the stands. Um, who do you put blame on ASU's fan base? Students showed up. Do you put blame on on the on the Pac-12 in general? What what what, what do you have to do to get 
fans out here at 6 p.m. for a Thursday kickoff? Is it impossible? I, you, you know what? I don't know. Me and uh, I, I talked about this with uh, the girls, uh, Tressa and Sandy. Um, I talked about this with uh, Brad Denny from uh, Speak of the Devils. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the solution is. Um, it seems like no matter what, uh, the fans have an excuse. Uh, it's too hot and and um, it's too hot early in the season. It's getting too cold late in the season. Um, it's a Thursday game. It's a Saturday game. Like I mean, it's a Friday game. Like it, no matter like when do you, like, please let us know when you can fit a football game into your busy schedule so that we can have ASU schedule a football game at like. Um, 2:47 in the afternoon on you know <laughs> on you know Martin Luther King Day or Columbus Day or something like that like seriously like I, I don't get it like every every other school in the country has a set schedule and fans show up for like most of these like uh, traditionally rich schools and stuff like there's no Frank Cush Field like be here shut up be here and complain about your team then but until then like fans can't you can't complain you're not here yeah, I mean, you had students leaving when it was a seven-point game. Just didn't want any part of it because they, they, there was no vibe that ASU was ever in this. Despite losing by seven, despite having the ball around the 30-yard line with 20 seconds left, it, it never felt like Arizona State had a chance. In fact, had they tied that game up, I think a lot of people would have been really surprised. Um, it, yeah. You know, it... The, the fact that, that Stanford sort of played ASU into this game the way that ASU has done to some of their inferior opponents this year um, was an issue. Now you have a situation where Arizona State has to go out to USC where who Clay Helton has never lost at home. And that's a coach that that whole fan base is sick and tired of. They haven't lost at home. Now ASU has to go and try to break that streak. I don't know if they can do it, man. I think I th- you've got a 3-4 and four team right now. That's looking at a strong possibility of three and five after taking on the most talented team in the Pac-12 South, uh, and then after that, you still got UCLA, who has been in most of these games that they've lost. You still got University of Arizona at Arizona, and it doesn't matter how much better ASU is than U of A. That game's always wonky. Yeah, you know, and you, you've got. I mean, last you, year, last year ASU was supposed to lose, and they ended up winning. And Utah is just another one of these teams that can choke you out. You know, it's going to be really interesting. Like, I really want to see what the fan base is going to look like, uh, what attendance is going to look like for the Utah game. Um, so many Sun Devil fans want to complain, and, you know, this is the problem, that's the problem. Look, come out to the game. Fill up the stadium. I don't want it to be all red because of Utah. Like, just come to the game and find me and complain to me in person. Like, you know, we probably have more people that listen to this podcast that – then we're in attendance at tonight's game, <laughs> and that's so disappointing. It feels like it. So here's my, here's my other question. Uh, fans don't show up. The team doesn't win. The offense doesn't score. When do you turn your – and I, I know your gaze has been in that direction. When do you turn your gaze to Ray Anderson, to Herm Edwards? And say this is the most talented team you're going to have for at least the next three years. Um, what are you doing? I'm going to be fair. I, I I don't know. I don't know if I would say that, but um, Nikhil Harry is a very very special player. With five games left. With five games left, and you've ruined the opportunity for what could have been something so so special. 
and he's a, home, that, he's a hometown kid. If that dude leaves here with 60 catches for 800 yards, uh, it's going to be hard not to hold a grudge. Nikhil Harry is one of the most talented receivers to ever step foot on the field here at Frank Cush Field Sun Devil Stadium. By far, one of the most, if not the most talented receiver. Derek Hagan will tell you that. Jalen Strong will tell you that. Jalen Strong was tweeting about it last week when right? they were using him. Um, you know, th- there's, there, there's no reason that, like, you know, Nikhil, sh- Nikhil doesn't have to be, like, top five for the Heisman Trophy. He doesn't have to be invited to the ceremony. But, like, it should at least be, like, a thought, like, hey, Nikhil yeah. Harry for Heisman. Nobody's talking about of that. Of course not. And, and, and if they can't find a way to use him, then they're probably not going to find a way to use Isaiah Floyd. They're probably not going to find a way to use Traylon Smith. They tried to get creative and get the tight end the ball this week. They, they, they did it once. So I think he has, you know, they have seven tight end catches in a total of seven games. The, this is, you have to, in the Pac-12, keep your opponent guessing. And while they were more creative tonight, not executing, turning the ball over, especially when your defense is young and they don't go out and get the ball back for you. There's not a lot of turnovers generated by this defense, so you have to protect the ball. They had more turnovers tonight than they did the entire year leading up to this. The fact that they only lost by seven is insane to me. The more yeah, we talk about it, yeah, especially since like it's uh, Stanford and Stanford has been the uh, class of the of the Pac-12 for the past few years and stuff like that. But um, more than the past few years, um, you know. I don't know if I believe that this is the most talented team that they're going to have for the next, like, X amount of years. Um, I love this Jordan Clark kid that we just got. Um, I love Connor Soley. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Andre Johnson. Um, you know, and you, you sold me on Roman DeWiss. Like, you know, we, we, have, we have a super talented local class coming in. And then on top of that, we have the two uh, out-of-state quarterbacks, one of them, Joey Yellen, that, you know, has a lot of people um, really excited how they develop, I don't know. But what I do know is Connor Soley going to start day one, and Jordan Clark has potential to be a, contri- a heavy contributor. Maybe I mean I don't know if I project. I, I don't know if I can project two true freshmen starting, but um, in in the secondary in one unit. But like you know, not it. Nothing's impossible. Um, you know, Chase Lucas will hopefully be here for one more year to kind of you know be the be a leader which is what I think he is by nature um you know I think that two years down the line and hopefully you know I I hope I'm wrong about Herm's system I hope that I'm wrong about you know uh what Ray Anderson has done um they said four years they'll win a national championship so I'm gonna hold them to that we're just in year one this is just this is just destroying an old foundation and rebuilding a new one um, Herm's going to have his opportunities, I mean, whether I like it or not. So, you know, yeah, me and you are going to hold this grudge if Nikhil ends up with 60 catches for 800 yards. But at the, on the same token, we got to give them this chance to, you know, cannibalize year one, unfortunately cannibalize uh, Nikhil Harry and his, his precious talent that we love so much. And, you know, we build, we continue to build for this national championship because at the end of the day that that's what it, that's what we're here for. Here's what I worry about. I worry about what happens on the field to Arizona State seemingly every week against talented teams. 
I worry about what happens on the field for Arizona State happening off the field. So ASU put themselves in a position where they have to play from behind. That doesn't really suit the strengths of what Arizona State puts on the field, nor the way they call plays for what they have on the field, right? We've established that. Nobody disagrees. That's why they're losing. Off the field, you put yourself in a position where you give everyone else in the Pac-12 that you're recruiting against, plus the teams like Nebraska and everybody else that comes here, Iowa State now, obviously, you know, you, you give those teams the ability to say, man, look what they did with the talent that they had. They didn't get to kill the ball. Do you really think they're going to get you the ball? You put yourself in a position where you're playing from behind in recruiting. You put yourself in a position where you're playing from behind in just your reputation. This was Arizona State's chance to be on. So, yeah, nobody came to the game, but guess what? People in Tampa, people in Baltimore, people in Omaha, people in New Mexico, people in L.A., they were all at home watching this game and what they saw, a bad product. So yeah. you put yourself behind the eight ball with what you're doing on the field, also off the field as far as recruiting, as far as branding, as far as people buying into what Arizona State is all about. This this is not going to be a good... I go back and I watch every single one of these games. This this is not going to be a fun one to no, go back and look at. But, but on the on the flip side, what Arizona State's going to say is, we gave Nikhil Harry the ball 10 times against Stanford. He threw an interception, and he only got 90 yards. He couldn't make the play. But, but son, That's you, can, you, you, can, you, can make, you can make the play, son. We think that you can make those plays. Like that's what they're gonna that do. Your that's your arm. That's that's <laughs> what they're gonna do. Yeah, and I, I I don't like that. I don't like the idea that you would have to throw your players under the bus, which which they've already done a little bit of. Herm Edwards talks about coming in. You know, he he talks about needing better personnel. Danny Gonzalez has not been shy about the fact that he's not a huge fan of what it is he has to work with, and he needs to get his guys in. Uh, he says they'll be better in two years or he'll quit, right? Um, you know, as far as this offense goes, I don't really know how and we all Rob Likens feels, but I know that Dave Christensen looks at this offensive line uh, and says, like, I need all these dudes to be six foot eight because the the, the talent they've had in here is, is not cutting it, right? I'm cutting some of these guys. We're medically retiring some of these guys, and I'm going to rebuild this with just super huge dudes that Joe Connolly can build up strength-wise. So... You already know that they're not super happy about the personnel. It's pretty clear they're not a huge fan of the quarterbacks behind Manny, maybe not even Manny himself. They want to rebuild this team. But can you rebuild a team while you're losing? I mean, I think they're going to I think they're going to give some of these young kids um, the playing time right now. I think they're I think they're cannibalizing this year already. Maybe on defense, but on offense, you're not seeing Traylon. You're not seeing Isaiah Floyd. You're not seeing Jordan Porter. You're See, not seeing Terrell Chapman. So on defense, I think it's the more aggressive side where you need your kids to get that experience. On offense, I think it's a situation where some of these younger guys they can preserve and use as battering rams and, you know, use for the punishment as the years go on. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, like I said, I'm not exactly sure, like, what – what they think they can accomplish um i was disappointed in the way that the hire went down um there's nothing we can do about that herm herm is our coach so i gotta support him and i I hope this works out got four years 
This is just year one. All right, well, so get candid with me. Is there a coach or an offensive coordinator out there that, that comes to mind for you? You could even say, wait, keeping Billy Napier, never losing Chip. Chip. Um, is there anybody out there that could turn Manny Wilkins into something other than what he is? Not right now. Right now, it's done. So then, do you blame Rob Likens? If it, do, then, do you say like, "Hey, we can't get better from Manny Wilkins than what we're getting right now"? So is this really Rob Likens' fault at all? Yeah, because you still have the decision that, "Hey, we can try something else." You still have an option. So you're saying not pulling him? Oh, yeah. Uh, this took an interesting turn. Let's touch on the defense before we close it out. I want to bring up that Jalen Harvey led this team in tackles again. He's a converted wide receiver uh, to the safety position. Defense is the only bright spot. Kobe Williams gave up some gave up some catches, but he made the tackles. Um, Merlin Robertson got the lone sack, even though they did get pressure on KJ Costello all they, day. They, they were in the backfield, uh, making making Costello move and making him uncomfortable. Costello just played well. Not a lot of Malik Lawal today. Not a lot of Kalen Thomas. I'm no, surprised J.J. About, Wilson. I'm J.J. Surprised J.J. Wilson about missed the game. I'm surprised about Lawal. Yeah, because he. I think he's been impactful. No Darius Slade, no J.J. Wilson. Tyler Johnson plays from start to finish. This was really his first full game. He messed up a couple of times. He had the face mask late that could have that could have cost him. But he's he also a retro had two freshman. tackles for loss. He's, he's a retro. I mean, this he, team, he's going to get it. This team had six tackles for a loss in the first quarter, finished with 12 on the day. The run defense was absolutely spectacular. I uh, do not believe they gave up a rushing touchdown to Bryce Love, who ran for like 300 no, yards not. against them last year, a game that you and I watched from Zips and got sick on French fries. I don't fries. know if we got sick on fries or sick on watching that dude destroy us. But but they, they did get a, a one-yard touchdown run from Scarlett late in the third. The third quarter, pretty brutal for Arizona State. I think Arizona State in seven games has 24 points total in in the third quarter that continues to be an issue for them coming out of halftime is that a coaching issue yeah i absolutely think that's a coaching issue what are you saying to the kids in the locker room why aren't they motivated herm's the motivator right that's he came here to motivate supposed to be i mean he's like the you know the wizard with words you know like what's he saying like what is he telling the kids what why why are they so flat why are they so flat and then that so that that brings you back around to is motivation what scores touchdowns or is innovation what scores touchdowns? I mean, innovation is just another word for creativity, right? So I mean, <laughs> you know, they're going to take away ASU's number one most innovative ranking if this offense can't find a way to at least score touchdowns. No, you're right. Um, you know, they're not they're not getting it done the new way. They're not getting it done the old way. Like so now they're trying to invent ways and they're still not getting it done like you know I don't remember all these problems the past few years I really don't um it's 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 a disappointment um you know Sun Devil fans always have something to complain about we don't have enough homegrown kids we have too many homegrown kids we have um we're getting Nikhil Harry the ball too much we're not getting him the ball enough like we want to see the backup. That's a big, that's a big ASU you know, fan. Um, he, he, so he, let's just move into this. Your players of the game. Golly, they'd all be on defense, I guess. Merlin Robertson, I really like him. I'm really, I'm really get, getting gaining an affinity for him. Harvey, Harvey's really, you know, uh, developed. Um, 
he's the one player that I think that I'm not sure of its self-motivation, but for now I'm going to give some credit to the coaching staff for um, bringing him along. Um, you know, they, they've put him in a position where he can be successful, and, you know, I really got to commend them for that. You know, on offense, who, who, who could you possibly give – a player of the game to you want to give it to you know Benjamin who didn't even break 40 yards you want to give it to Nikhil Harry who didn't catch for 100 yards or you want to give it to Manny Wilkins who let 30 seconds burn off the clock because he wasn't aware of how much time was on the clock yeah I don't I don't think that you can say much positive about the offense at all um you know Manny Wilkins did throw for 350 yards he did rush for a touchdown um but yeah it it, it, it's very very hard to say anything positive about the offense I will say for a quarterback teams. that's so mobile, yeah. he did get sacked three times. I, I will say that uh, uh, Brandon Reese, Michael Sleep Dalton continue to be awesome. Um, you can't say special teams as a whole is good because the return game for this team is just frenetic and bizarre. Let me tell you what I love about Nikhil Harry on punt returns. He would try to catch and return anything. He would. He, he, they had a couple of risky ones today, didn't he? Yeah. And the manner, like, he's not very traditional in the way he wants to catch these punts. He but he will, catches them. No, he, no, he, he catches them absolutely. probably his second or third one of the year today. Um, Got a two-yard gain out of it because it bounced off his chest and he had to jump forward to cover it. But, right. You know, I think that was his best, best punt return of the day. But, no, I, I, on, on defense, um, you know, you, you saw a lot of D.J. Davidson today. You saw some good play. But, yeah, Merlin – for sure, um, but yeah, I, I th- this game was so ugly that I, I I look at it and I say Michael Sleep Dalton averaged forty six yards a punt. He had a sixty seven yarder. He put one inside the twenty. Why not just give him the player of the game because they they were playing to punt the ball anyway. So you know, I think that um, I think somewhere along the line. And it hasn't happened yet. Herm Edwards is going to have to fully take responsibility of the travesty that is going on with the program. Um, regarding Nikhil Harry. Uh, regarding um, just a variety of the situations. I guess the offense completely. Uh, you know, Benjamin pops off and breaks a record two weeks ago. And then goes milk carton missing for yeah I, I i worry about herm edwards not having fun to be honest he 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 i you saw that appearance of him on espn the other day where he pointed at the pitchfork on the wrong side of his show. just great appearance with you know he was he was talking to teddy Bruski. um you know i think darren sharper might have been on there uh, you know it was just he was on there he was having a good time that's where he he's having fun, right? At, when you're three and four, you've lost four games by seven points, and there's some definite issues of of coaching that have been involved in that. He's not sleeping. He's away from his kids. You know, he, I I do worry about I do worry about the grind uh, because of how long he's been out of it. I don't doubt his love for football. I don't doubt his ability to teach. I don't doubt his ability to reach some of these guys. You see the affinity that these guys have for Herm Edwards. I do genuinely worry about whether he can handle the grind that comes with losing because that is a different kind of pressure. 
even if the fans don't show up to put the pressure on you, it is a different kind of pressure to be the head coach of a losing football team that probably should be winning. And I, 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 do, I do just worry about the toll that it's going to take on him having been out of it for so long. And obviously he faced this pressure in New York. He faced this pressure in the NFL in Kansas City. But he didn't have teenagers then. He wasn't making the decision to be away from his family every single day back then. You know, he, he had, yeah, he had young kids. But, you know, th- this is different. He had the opportunity to fly back and forth from Bristol to be around them. Right. i, I got to be honest, man. I, I, I like the guy. I worry about him a little bit in, in this situation because if he is being honest with himself, there is some responsibility on this coaching staff, uh, whether it's in-game awareness, whether it's play calling, whether it's not being able to motivate the team coming out of third quarter. Um, whether it's not being able to get the most out of the personnel that you have with you. Dennis Erickson was able to do it. Todd Graham was able to do it with, with, with the other coaches' players. Why not Herm Edwards? I mean, you know? we're, we're talking about a guy whose famous quote is, you know, um, uh, you play to win the game. Uh, the way we played all these past few games, we're not really playing to win the game. Um, the mess with the clock tonight, the problem at Washington – um, San Diego State, like he's not playing to win the game. Where, where's that Herm Edwards? Yeah. Like, show show me that Herm Edwards. Show me the Herm Edwards talking about, um, you know, struggle creates who you are. Because we're struggling right now, and that's not creating who we are. That's creating more problems. You know, if you watch these ASU games and you were able to convince yourself that they don't keep score, they don't keep score in football, right? You would say, okay, I see a team that's improving from the start of the game Are they? to the end of the. Game. I, I think, yeah, yeah, because you see most of what uh, ASU wasn't able to score against Michigan State until the fourth quarter. They weren't really able to move the ball after starting out hot against San Diego State until late. Um, and obviously, Colorado is the huge outlier here, but you see a team that sort of improves in certain areas here and there as the game goes on, and you'd say like, oh, I see they're working on these things. Everything feels like preseason, right? If the score doesn't matter, you can see some good things going on. But the score trumps everything, right? Of course. And, you know, and, and and you're right. You do play to win the game, and they're not winning these games. And until they do, you have to scrutinize every single thing. Because is Stan, are, are the Stanford writers recording podcasts about how garbage the play calling was? for the entire second half of the game when they probably could have put ASU out of it after a big third quarter? No, they won. They won. They'll worry about that stuff some other time. Are they thinking about how they gave up 350 yards passing? No, because they got two interceptions and they won the game. So they're... You you don't have to worry about some of these things if you're winning. If you're losing, every card is put out on the table. You know, what I do love about Herm Edwards... Is he so quotable? You know, he said, he's, like I said, he's a wizard with words. Remember that quote he said, uh, something about, you know, um, he never panics. Because leaders don't panic. They find a way out. Did he find a way out today? Did he find a way out against San Diego State? Did he find a way out against Washington? He's a leader. Why is he not finding a way out? Is he in an escape room? Is, some, is, is the world of college football just becoming one big escape room that he's incapable of getting out of? And I brought this up. I brought this up on uh, on the Speak of the Devils podcast that I did with with uh, Joe Healy and Brad, and, and Brad Denny. The, the, my biggest worry for him is that he wants to win, 
but I don't, he doesn't need to win. This is his final job, right? This yeah. is it for him. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Whatever. He wants to win. I do not doubt that. So he doesn't so, need to win. He's so, not trying to build for a job later. He's not trying to... So is he interested or is he committed? Uh, he's here. But but that doesn't answer the question. May, may, hey, Ralph, he when, you, when, when you go to one of these pressers next time, why don't you turn it around on him and ask him, are you interested or are you committed? Because we, we need somebody here that's committed. I mean, he's still learning the pitchfork. I saw him with a picture the other day of... You know the the his 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 pinky held down. He he is not. So he's, he's holding up three fingers. He's yeah. He's the number three, right? He's. He, he, my point is this: he's not interested in being Todd Graham and scoring points with the fans by knowing all of the jargon. And you know he yeah he came out in his presser. He mentioned Pat Tillman yada yada yada, but the easy stuff. The, it, the easy stuff, but yeah, he still he didn't know what side of his shirt the pitchfork was on. He, he, he had the exchange with Hoder Bino, which was funny and was a joke, but he had the exchange with Hoder Bino where people were like, does he even know what the mascot is? The first thing he said when he saw the Adidas jersey, who pays ASU a lot of money, was that it looked like a girl's jersey. Yeah. So, like, you know, none of that stuff is of any interest. He's not trying to be politically correct, which is a breath of fresh air for some people. He's not worried about the next gig, which is a breath of fresh air for some people. There is no next gig. You just said that. Right. But what I'm saying is a lot of the guys that are worried about the next gig are are, are as... Uh, what do you say? I hate losing more than I like winning. Right? Yeah. That's, that's your mantra, right? Yes. He doesn't need... These wins. He's still Hermit. If if they if they go three and nine this year, he's still Herm Edwards. He's still a legend. His life was still a life of football. So is it he, doesn't take anything away from his legacy at so all. So he's not committed. He's just interested in having this job because his buddy hired him. It's a good old boy situation. Like well, I think that he could be the most committed guy in the entire world. He's here instead of with his family. He's got enough money. He could be retired. But I just don't think his situation and his station puts him in a position where he's like some other where he's like uh you know what what's his name out at cal who's taking a pay cut to just be cal's head coach to get enough wins so that he can turn around and go cash in elsewhere you know or or you know I, the the um guy out at oregon state who it's his first coaching gig and he's coaching his alma mater and he's young and, and it means a ton to him or you know mike norvell out at memphis you know you you have all these guys who are committed it it just it means a different thing to them because they're at a different stage there herm edwards could win a national championship at arizona state no he couldn't okay okay <laughs> For the purposes of what I'm saying, I'm saying he so he go on and he could win a Rose Bowl, right? And it wouldn't change anything about who he is or how he identifies. He wants to win. He doesn't need to win. He's still Herm Edwards. He still accomplished what he accomplished. He still has the respect of all his peers. It's not you know, and but then you have your guys who also don't need. Nick Saban doesn't need to win anymore, but he's literally insane. It's all he thinks about. It's all because he he's to committed. Do. I, he's committable. He's a psychopath. There's um, nothing wrong with that. He's committed to that program. If if you get wins, then people aren't thinking about whether or not you're stable. <laughs> I mean, he just yelled at some young female reporter. Nobody's talking about that anymore. Right. He made up, winning. Made up some lie about how the fans should come out to the games when they only sell tickets in three packs to the kid. He's. <laughs> and guess what? 
Nobody's saying anything Nobody to him. Nobody cares. Because he's yeah. committed. Exactly. Well, I mean, and these are the things we talk about when you lose. And so we're, we're going to cut it short. I'm going to play some audio from uh, Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott, who I've been uh, certainly been critical of uh, over, over the years. Um, but I had an opportunity, as well as some of the media, from uh, here in Arizona to ask him some questions. So we're going to close out this post-game uh, episode of the Devil's Junkie podcast by playing some audio from Larry Scott and DevilsDigest.com uh, vlog. Don't forget, just chilly. Yeah, make, make sure you subscribe. Show your boy some love. Chili's trying not to get in trouble for his <laughs> sideline vlog interviews anymore. But um, so, uh, I mean, before I play some of this stuff from Larry Scott, Chili, any final thoughts on this team after they they drop their fourth game of the year uh, to Stanford on a Thursday night at home, twenty to thirteen? Um, this is a team that started off hot and. You know, it's fizzled quickly and not spectacularly. Um, change needs to be made. And if it's not made, I shudder to think about what is going to happen at the end of the season. Right now, I am not sure if we have a coaching staff that is committed to winning and that even comes later in the season when we play that very, very important game versus U of A, which may be our bowl game. <laughs> I mean, my final thoughts as far as this game is seven games in, and um, I thought I knew what the identity of this team was going into the season. I thought based on all of Herm Edwards' quotes that he knew that you were going to have to get Nikhil Harry the ball. Um, and then you've seen sort of the evolution of this team go from – uh, a, a passing team to a running team to having a week and a half to prepare for Stanford and going out there and not really even be able to recognize what it is that, that, that we're seeing. They've done a great job of developing some young talent on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they've lost some players a, a, along the way. Recruiting is just now starting to pick up. There are some things that seem to be going in the right direction, but as of right now, you're three and four. All of the losses have been by seven, and even though they seem close, the staff and the players on the field put themselves in positions to where they they essentially lost these games. Um, and, you know, you talk about identity and DNA. Uh, you are what you do. And right now this team is losing. The identity of this team, if they're not careful, is that they are going to be losers. And, and, and that's a tough pill to swallow, especially heading uh, into the Coliseum against a team that just does not lose at home and that has blown you out three of the last five years. Uh, and so if Arizona State doesn't want their identity established for them by somebody else, they have to come out and make sure that they are able to tell people who they are uh, as they play next week, uh, next Saturday, around noon, um, out in Los Angeles. Uh, I'll be there. I'll bring you some post-game reaction uh, from, from, from that game as well, and we'll see if it's a different story. So uh, moving on to Larry Scott. For Chili, I'm Ralph Amston, and this has been the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh, Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town Um, thanks for uh, being here, getting together. This is a great chance for me to get on campus. I've had meetings uh, throughout the day today and 
got a tour of uh, the upgrades to the stadium. It's an exciting time at Arizona State, and it's great to meet with Ray Anderson and his team, talk about some of the dynamic plans going on around here, and to, of course, be at our game. But always like having a chance to uh, meet with all of you and answer any questions you may have about the conference. Let's go ahead. Sure, let's start with rules changes. Uh, ASU's been on the wrong end of some rough stuff, right? There was a play against San Diego State, there was a play out of bounds against Colorado, and then somebody just fell on Manning Wilkins just now. What's the process for rules changes, and what do you guys think can, you can do in the offseason? Um, well, rules changes do get reviewed in the offseason. Those are national. Mm -hmm. We don't make rules by conference. So there's always a process. There's a rules committee that's heavily populated with coaches. And also other officials, and they'll meet during the year, and then they promote and uh, propose rules changes, and that goes to conferences to review. So usually by the spring, we meet with our coaches uh, in the beginning of May, and we'll have a chance to review rules changes, decide as a conference if we want to support uh, or not. So um, that's a big topic for our coaches at the end of it, every season. Are there things that have happened this season they want to propose rule changes about? And are you aware of the play against San Diego State? Uh, no. Okay, so ASU is a catch. You guys help me out on this. ASU makes a catch. The one yard line I was targeting. And, and the targeting review. Review caused it to say that it was an incomplete pass, but they get, ASU gets the 15 yards, but I know just small national swell, like Greg's talking about, maybe should it be a spot foul? Because it is target. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, not that it, the player's trying to end the guy's career, but I mean, it is something that could happen in the season. Should it be. Effectively, effectively, one team got a benefit for breaking a rule. Right. Yeah. Yep. I'm, now, now I'm remembering which play you're talking about. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of thing that will get reviewed in the offseason. I think there'll be very healthy debate about that. I think there were, yeah, there was some good discussion about the, the intention of the rule and other unintended consequences. So I imagine that one will get some discussion. And now what about Colorado with their sideline, right? That could have been a contributing factor in the play when Akeel Harry was hurt. A player was blocked out of bounds on a punt return. He ran out of bounds for about 15 or 20 yards and popped back in and made a play. So clearly there's a rule that already addresses that the officials missed the call. But the sideline is so tight, maybe it's dangerous. Could you guys force Colorado to change the layout of its stadium? Um, I think they've had that layout for some time, so I don't believe we'd force them to change uh, change their stadium. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, the rule, um, if I understand that play that you're talking about, is really about the intention of a player to get back on as soon as possible. A lot of things an official would have to look at, especially with a crowded sideline. Can you uh, elaborate on uh, the, the Pac-12's commitment to Thursday games, Friday games, obviously you look out there today, depressed turnout, Friday games, tough as far as recruiting, um, yet every year we're seeing more and more. Uh, can you just give us the why sure. behind the what here? Yeah. Well, first let me clarify the what. Um, uh, the number's not increasing. Uh, when we signed a new television agreement in 2011 that kicked into 2012, um, as part of that we agreed to eight uh, weeknight games. So they're split between Thursdays and Fridays, and those are decided by ESPN and Fox who, who split those. And there used to be more Thursdays than Fridays, but when the NFL started playing games on Thursday, you've seen a migration to Fridays. But just to be clear, they're not increasing in number. It's a set number contractually. Um, they're valuable to ESPN and Fox because you know, there's no other big-time college football going on. It's a, pretty much an exclusive window for college football, um, and they tend to get higher TV ratings than what 
this game might get on a typical Saturday. Um, and that's why we've agreed to them, because they're of great value. We also realize that they can be challenging uh, on our campuses. You know, on a school day, there's parking issues, there's issues uh, for fans. So we try to rotate the games. And on average, our schools will play a weeknight game two out of three years. So we try to spread them as much as possible as well. In terms of bowl games and the bowl championship game, um, an SEC team, for example, can put two teams in, one team not playing in the conference finals. Uh, but it seems like the Pac-12 has to almost be perfect to get in. Is there anything being done to look at, well, how can we maybe alter this rule that says you have to at least play in the game or be part of the game so that way the Pac-12 isn't just automatically voted out? Yeah. So there's a committee of 13 people, a college football playoff selection committee that makes these decisions. They really aren't meant to look at this by conference. They're meant to look at individual teams, who they played, um, how they did, what games they won. And uh, yeah, the SEC is coming off some very, very strong years where they have won big time non-conference competition and um, you know, they've been in the running for two teams in some years they, they've had them. But there's nothing um, baked in to the way the system works that necessarily favors one conference or another. It just so happens the SEC has been particularly strong. You follow the court proceedings, Larry, on the basketball situation and, and your thoughts on that? Uh, as closely as you can, but I'm, I'm reading what you're reading, yeah. probably. I've got no insight beyond what I'm reading. But you guys tried to address that, I think, last year. And yeah. You know, you like what you um, well, I'm concerned about what we're reading about. Um, you know, there's a lot of testimony that's come forward that I don't think paints college basketball in a very positive light. And that's the way we felt last year when the FBI first made their... Uh, findings in the Southern District of New York, um, you know, issued arrest warrants and, and all that. We, we launched a task force made up of athletics directors, former coaches, prominent people in the basketball community to examine these things. And we came out with a white paper with a list of recommendations we'd, we'd, we'd like to see. I think there's room for improvement in college basketball. And ultimately, the NCA did something similar. Former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice headed up a commission, made a bunch of recommendations. There are a lot of rule changes that have kicked in. Steps in the right direction. I think there's some you know, very deep-rooted issues uh, in college basketball, including the whole youth uh, basketball scene, the value some of these players have, their desire to get to the NBA. But I think a lot of the changes that were proposed in terms of uh, education, um, cleaning up recruiting a little bit, trying to get it more on campus, less in the AU system, were all steps in the right direction. And, uh, earlier today, I did read news from the NBA, uh, very significant news, that uh, they've agreed uh, to accept players coming out of high school and offer them $125,000 contracts, and that's absolutely a step in the right direction from my perspective. It's something, I think, responsive uh, to what the NCAA wanted to see, what the Pac-12 task force recommended. Um, it gives high school students that really don't have an interest in being student athletes at school and pursuing the amazing educational as well as athletic opportunities they have here. If they're only interested in earning a living playing professional basketball, now they've got a decent salary that they can earn. They can start on that path if they want. I think um, more clarity about like which path you're choosing. You want to kind of go for the education and high level competition or really just go for the basketball. And I think that's good. I think it's healthy for college basketball. We'll lose some players. But I think, I think it's better if it's more clear that the student-athletes that are playing for our schools are really serious about being students being in school. Your thoughts on do. the four-game um, redshirt where after four games, 
players can then transfer out without yeah. losing well, So this is the first year. There was a lot of support for it, uh, when, it when it got passed, including in our conference. Um, uh, but I think it'll be an examination of it after this year, after we see how it's, uh, how it's worked in practice. But I think um, you know, our coaches liked it uh, in terms of you know, protecting student athletes that get injured after a certain number of games and uh, not kind of burning a whole redshirt year just based on a couple of games. So I think there are some good intentions behind the rule, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how everyone feels about it once we see the results. Do you think with the D-League, like you were saying today, what, what their decision is, but if a player wants to go out of high school, maybe take two years, not go as far as he wanted, do you think maybe NCA? I mean, obviously now he couldn't come back, but if, say, they never hired an agent and they just went into the D-League, would it be an option maybe to come back? I mean, if they wanted to go to school and, and go that route? According to the current rules, you know, if you accept the contract, you sign a contract, you earn $125,000 playing basketball, you're not an amateur uh, anymore. But uh, obviously it was just announced today. And I'm sure there'll be conversations that are, that are had about, uh, you know, circumstances if they're individual players and it doesn't work out for them, you know, whether there are circumstances or not uh, where they could come back and play college basketball at some stage. Yeah, obviously, since it was just announced today, there's been zero discussion about that. You said you spent time with Ray Anderson today. What do you think of his vision and execution of his vision here at Arizona State? I'm excited about his vision. He uh, comes with a great background, student athlete himself, a lot of experience uh, in the NFL. Um, uh, I think he's got a, uh, a bold uh, vision for the future of Arizona State. I think he looks at the uh, community, the population, uh, the resources, and there's some very unique opportunities and advantages with a school this size, an alumni base this big, uh, in a market this attractive. Uh, and I think he's being very aggressive in terms of what his expectations and aspirations are, which from a Pac-12 perspective, I love. Larry, what's the latest on, um, and thanks for answering all these questions. Yeah, of course. This is why I come around to have a chance to get to spend time with you all. Appreciate it. The latest on the efforts to expand the Pac-12 network's availability? So um, the latest efforts have really been around over-the-top distributed streaming. Um, we are distributed with over 70 different distributors with the Pac-12 uh, networks. Um, there are a couple we don't have, most notably, uh, DirecTV. Um, and the biggest opportunity will be as that um, industry changes and there's more of these internet-based companies offering to deliver television networks on, on their platforms, I think that's where you'll see more growth, you know, more different ways. So right now, for example, depends whether you've got a cable or satellite subscription or not, you can access the Pac-12 networks through Fubo TV, Sling TV, off your device, off any computer, and you don't have to have you know, a cable connection or a satellite connection. Uh, the other great thing about these services is they're much more flexible for consumers, right? You can come in and, you know, for the football season, subscribe, and then, you know, there's no long contract. So I think the whole industry is moving in a way it's much more consumer-friendly. Um, there'll be more different ways to access uh, the content. It'll take some time, but I think it's moving in a very good way for fans. To be back off that, is there, I mean, it's obviously all the years without DirecTV, is there just a frustration of that and just an annoyance because other networks are there and that... For some reason, the Pac-12 doesn't yeah. can't. We're highly frustrated because I know our fans are highly frustrated as well. Um, you know, I think we caught DirecTV at a time where they weren't decided not to add new sports networks, which is somewhat ironic because they've always positioned themselves as like the leading destination for uh, sports fans. But 
you know, we got caught in bad timing. The Dodgers got caught in bad timing with their network. There are other, others as well. And we've tried a bunch of different ways to engage them. And uh, we haven't had any uh, good fortune in that regard, unfortunately. Herm Edwards has added kind of a high-profile um, personality to the conference just because of his previous TV experience. Is, is, that, is that good for the conference in some ways, to, to have someone like him? I think it's great for the conference. Um, you know, if I take a step back and look at this year, the five new head coaches, uh, three, you know, Herm, Chip Kelly, Kevin Sumlin, are some of the biggest names in coaching. That's brought a lot of attention, notoriety, interest, I think appeal to the conference from recruits, obviously television broadcasters, you know, and, and some of the assistants that got promoted, Jonathan Smith at Oregon State and Mario Cristobal, in particular in Oregon, he's having a great season. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a pretty fresh look for the conference. That creates intrigue, interest, energy um, and I think especially Herman's media relationships is uh, going to get a lot of positive attention for the program. Second here. half is starting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it.